Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, July 5th, the co-parenting conundrum edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and a stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster based in Oakland, California, but today recording live from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Gabriel Roth has a sick kid, so he cannot join us this week, but we will miss him. We'll do fine without him, as we uh, sometimes have to do. We will soldier on. And today we will be taking listener questions, one from a mom who is co-parenting with a less-than-capable ex, and another from a soon-to-be parent who is worried about how to model good screen time habits when she herself does not have them. But first, let's talk about triumphs and fails. Carvel, what have you got for us this week? Man, this has been such an incredible thing. So for some listeners know that I am in the midst of a two-week road trip with my two kids. We started – well, it's not a road trip. It started as a flight. We flew into to D.C. and then we spent some time in D.C. and then today we drove – or yesterday we drove to Pittsburgh – then we're going to spend a few days here. Then we're driving to Cape Cod to sp- hang out with friends for the rest of the holiday week. And, you know, it, that's a lot of parenting to teenagers and, you know, and so forth. And so most of all, it's been going fine. It's been a lot of fun. There's been a lot of like laughing. I would say that Saturday, maybe Friday night is the first night that we started to all get a little bit irritated with each other. But uh, I felt like I navigated us through that more or less without a major incident. Uh, I I noticed that I myself was getting really irritated with both the kids. They were both annoying the hell out of me. And so I, you know, (laughs) was like, okay, I I probably need my own space. Um, But then, so we checked into this place in Pittsburgh, this Airbnb, and the problem with the Airbnb is the following. The guy who, who's, Who's, who runs it and who's like decorated it has gone with this totally eclectic kind of old timey decorative thing, which is I have no problem with. He's got like old suitcases and it's kind of a shabby chic situation, but more verging into that, like uh, the cabinet of Dr. Kilgore type deal. He's got like, there's like, the, you know what I mean? There's like the, the, the beakers and like the various flasks and like the skulls and everything. And so here, we, so I come in and I'm like, okay, fine. This guy's got his own taste, whatever. Like, oh, cool. Like comfortable bed, you know, whatever. And I shelled out all this money so we could have three bedrooms so that everyone could have plenty of time and space to operate so that we wouldn't be all up in each other's business for two weeks and thusly sort of speeding up the extent to which we were getting on each other's nerves. Um, but the problem with this place is that Ezra to a certain extent, but Georgia to a significant extent is terrified of this apartment. Like Mm. she, like she's scared shitless and (laughs) because it's really kind of creepy. If you're, especially if you're a California kid, which these kids are. And one of the things about California kids that I think a lot of East coasters don't recognize is that 
everything in California is like younger than, you know, like all buildings, all services never is like younger than like, you know, 40 years old. So when kids come to the East Coast, they're already like, everything is so old. And it's like, is it haunted? <laughs> like, they just feel like everything is haunted on the East Coast. And it doesn't help that all the horror movies are always take place in these, like, wooded areas in these creaky old houses or whatever. So here we walk into this creaky old house in a wooded area. And then the guy's got skulls and, like, old-timey pictures <laughs> where the eyes seem to follow you. And, you know, it's just like so. so, like, we got there and the kids were, like, kind of walking around and taking in the place. And it didn't even occur to me that they would be scared. But then Ezra kind of vaguely started making jokes about it, just sort of teasing Georgia a little bit. But I don't think he fully recognized that she was genuinely beginning to get panicked about it. And hmm. she once the idea got introduced, we couldn't put the genie. <laughs> we couldn't put the ghost back in the bottle, so to speak. And she was terrified all night and she wouldn't sleep in her room, which which like really irritated me. And then this morning, like I had to do this, I woke up and she wasn't going to come with me to the studio because she didn't want to be in the house by herself. But she woke up this morning and felt a little better because, you know, once you get through the first night, you know, that it's like fine. You're alive. Yeah. Once you get to the first night, I felt like I was in a Shirley Jackson novel. But um, once you get to the first, the first night alive, you know, you're okay. So she was like, okay, dad, I'll stay here as long as Ezra stays. I was like, Ezra's going to stay. She's like, all right. So then, so then, but then I had to figure out the breakfast thing. Cause the other thing about when you're traveling with kids is that you've got to figure out every meal. And because we got in more or less, not late last night, but too late to really do any significant grocery shopping. We ended up, I just said, okay, I'll go to Chipotle and I'll bring back food. So I go to Chipotle. So I'm rushing and like the timing of it is going to be super sketchy. Like, am I going to get to the Chipotle and find parking and get back and then drop it off and then come back and get to the studio and all this time. So I go to get the Chipotle and I come back and I told Georgia, I'm going to call you from the driveway. You need to come down and get the food because I don't have time to like turn off the car, run upstairs and bring it to you. Just like come and get the food. She said, all right. So I called her, pulled in the driveway. I called her as I was pulling in. Hey, the food's ready. Come on down. She says, okay, dad. And then like five minutes go by and there's no Georgia. And I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Cause like, this is stressing me out because the whole point of reason I did this. So I'm thinking, should I just leave it on the porch and like roll out or whatever? It turns out she finally calls me after like seven minutes and she's been trying to get Ezra to walk downstairs with her because she's afraid to walk downstairs by herself. But Ezra won't do it because he's annoyed with having to babysit her because I made him babysit her for like three hours last night while I had to finish my article, my column for Slate. And uh, so he was just like, I'm not going to do it. You need to go downstairs by yourself. And so she, she called me and was like, Ezra won't walk downstairs with me. And instead of being like, I don't know what I should have been like, but I know what I shouldn't have been like, which is exactly what I was like. I was like, dude, are you kidding me right now? Like, I'm late for work. Like, just come on down. Like, what? Like, nothing's going to happen. Just come downstairs. Like, I totally, like, just lost. Like, I got so frustrated with her. And she finally did come downstairs, but she was crying when she came downstairs. And I felt really bad. And I gave her the food and I said, okay, the, the number one burrito is yours and the number two burrito is your brother's. <laughs> Knock it off. You know, I just, like, I couldn't. I had such a hard time. Like, it just, but it, like... There's this thing about when your kid is afraid that there's a part of me that is so uncomfortable because you never want your kid to be afraid. Mm. That part of me just wants to, like, force her through it. You know, like the way that I – and we talked about this before, but the way that I dealt with fear when I was a kid is I, like, just, like, had to just walk down these creepy hallways alone feeling like an axe murderer or a killer whale. I was afraid of killer whales for whatever reason. (laughs) In hallways? Anything was going (laughs) to – for, like, a lot – up until, like, nine – I felt like a killer whale was a significant possibility <laughs> like it around any corner. But um, but I felt like I had to walk through that stuff alone. I felt like I could never talk to anyone about it, and I had to go through it alone. And 
I feel like sometimes I try to force my kids to to handle it that way, especially Georgia, because mm-hmm. she does get afraid. Ezra doesn't have it that much, and he never did even when he was little, but Georgia has a lot more of that monster under the bed fear. And the way I dealt with it this morning was just like short-temperedness and irritation, which I right. felt really bad about. So then I texted her and was like, look, I'm really sorry. I called her, actually, and was like, look, I'm really sorry. Look, all that happened is this guy was, you know, who decorated this place thought it was being artistic and awesome, and he ended up just making a creepy laboratory like that freaks out kids, and he didn't mean it. You know what I mean? And she was like, I get it. And I was like, I'm sorry your brother isn't helping. He's trying, but, you know, he's still a kid, too, so he's not going to do everything perfectly. Then I said, I'm really sorry that I lost my temper with you. Like, that's it's just that. I love you so much and I don't want you to be scared because being scared is no fun. And she was like, I got it. I understood, you know, and then our call got cut off. And so I finished with her over text and she was like understanding and everything. But I don't know this. That felt like a fail in a week that has overall been just parenting triumphs left and right. You know, Hmm. just like the level of navigating all the kids and all their personalities and all the vibes and stuff has been good. I felt like I really dropped the ball last night and this morning with George's fear about the Airbnb. <laughs> well, I just want to share a couple thoughts with you. One is that um, my Airbnb or VRBO trick is always, always, especially when you're traveling with the kids, throw a thing of Pop Tarts in your suitcase whenever you're going to go stay in an Airbnb because, like, you mm. never know. You never know if you're like not going to pass a grocery store on the way from the airport to wherever it is you're staying. You're going to need like yeah. the emergency Pop Tart. And the other yeah. thing is that uh, I don't really care about the number of bedrooms. It's the number of bathrooms that I care about. So, like, I don't put all the kids in one room as long as they can have their own damn bathroom because, like, (laughs) it's already bad enough using a strange person's bathroom, but, like, having to share a strange person's bathroom with a bunch of kids, (laughs) it's, like, extra bad. But I, what, yeah. I, what I hear what I hear here, it's like funny because I think it's really wonderful that you want to acknowledge that, you know, her fear is real and so forth. Um, but I was thinking and it was like this like darkly funny thought I had when you were talking is that you were basically behaving the way the dad behaves in every horror movie where there actually are ghosts. <laughs> they actually said that. That's so funny. That's so they literally both said that. I was like, there's nothing to worry about. They were like, dad, that's what they always say at the beginning of these movies. That's right. Just dismiss the fears of the teenagers. (laughs) You'll be fine. I'm late for work. I have to leave you alone here in this stupid, stupid, creepy house. I know. It's a no win situation. Um, So, I mean, I I mean, my my I know that like this whole trip is going awesome, actually, in all these different ways. And I know that it's clear that like, you know, this is the reason that I do these family trips is for these experiences. Like we're having so many experiences that I know are changing the kids and impacting them and will create memories. And, you know, all those nights that I like stayed up till 3 a.m. to hit a deadline so I could turn in articles so I can get paid for it. This is what all that is for. This is, you know, and so like, and it's happening. And so I know that we'll reach, even at some point, even Ezra was like yesterday, actually in the car on the road trip, he was like, dad, I'm learning so much in this trip. I can't wait to get home and just like put it all into action. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's why we're doing this, you know? But, um, but I, I know that, at some point, like the creepy place we stayed in, in Pittsburgh will be part of the kids' collective lore, and that's fun. Yeah. But I just need to get through to that without actually like <laughs> making it worse yeah. for my daughter. Because I, yeah. she does struggle with fear a lot, and she always has. And it's the one thing about her. Like everything else, she's super courageous, brave. She does all the stuff. She's self-starting, she's straight A's, manages everything, does the dishes, does the laundry, walks the dog. But the one thing that she's always struggled with is like dark hallways and monsters under the bed. And, uh, you know, I just, I just, sometimes I forget how, how well she does everything else when I get short tempered about that stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, you sort of have um, it ties a little bit into uh, my fail that I was planning to share, which is basically that like I have figured out. I really have no idea how to parent Teddy at all. And with Henry, mm. um, you know, as we'll hear later <laughs> in the Slate Plus segment when you meet him, everything has just been like super easy and intuitive mm. and he'll ask for a rope or independence and we're just like give it to him and then he always passes the test and like, mm-hmm. I don't know, we're just like really like kind of hit the like what to do jackpot with him. And with Teddy, I'm just I I'm in, I'm incapable of getting out of my own way. Um so this week and it's been happening actually for a lot in the last couple of months and I and it just kind of came to a head this week where he has been pretty awesome this whole school year about getting himself up for school, about taking showers every night without being reminded about, you know, essentially keeping like the very basics of his life together in a way that like he had a hard time with when he was younger. And he's just been getting really irritated with me when I tell him to do things or remind him to do things that he knows he's going to do without a reminder. Mm. But for some reason, like, I can't wrap my mm. head around the fact he doesn't need a reminder. So, like, the, the the one that happens all the time and the one that, like, always creates a bunch of conflict is, you know, he will be sitting at his computer at night, like, hanging out with his friends online or whatever. We'll be in the living room watching a movie or whatever. And at some point, I'll wander over and be like, Teddy, make sure that you take a shower before you go to bed. And he's just like... I know I'm going to do it. You telling me to do it just makes me not want to do it. And wow. every night I take one <laughs> and every night I tell you not to remind me and every night you remind me. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I know, I know. But like there have been some times, to be real, where I haven't reminded him and he hasn't done it still. Yeah. And yeah. I, there's just no perfect formula. I mean, I, I did give up on the um, – this this school year on them making him go to bed at a certain time thing because the deal he basically made with me is if I get myself up every day and I get to school on time, like, I don't think that you should ha- send me to bed at an arbitrary time where it's hard for me to go to sleep. And I was like, all right, let's try it. See what happens. Just like, giving up. I just like threw my hands up and I'm like, fuck it. Let's just see what happens. Right. And he actually was able to do it, like, except for like two times in this whole school year, like he got himself up on time. And so... I would go to bed at 11 o'clock knowing he was still up and I would be freaking out in my head. But like, I'm just like, we have a deal. We have a deal. So that worked out. But somehow I just Mm. can't seem to not I can't seem to censor myself from like the kind of reflexive reminders that he's always needed, even though he has specifically told me that the fact that I'm reminding him is the reason why he's not always doing it or whatever. I don't yeah. know. I'm just having a really hard time finding that sweet spot. So I don't know if you, if you, if you, if you have any advice for me, <laughs> let I, me know. It, you know, it's so weird about that. What, how old is he? He's 15. He is right? 15. Yeah. Almost 15 and a half. Okay. So this is literally like to a sentence, the exact relationship I have with my 15 year old son. Hmm. It's actually uncanny. And hearing you talk about it puts me at ease because it makes me realize it's something in the collective water that 15 year olds <laughs> drink. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not my own because this is the exact same thing. It's like he becomes, in my view, unreasonably angry when I remind right. him to do things. But then he but I'm like, I the reason I'm reminding you, my man, is because you don't do them if I don't remind you. So how are you going to get mad at me? <laughs> like, why don't you just if you just did them, then I wouldn't remind you, which is an argument I've made to him hundreds of times. And it never seems to land. And I was I, I so I don't quite know what to do, but I think I mentioned this the other day. I was interviewing um, Diane Aaronshaft for City Arts and Lectures, and she's a, a child psychologist who 
works a lot, who works almost entirely on gender issues with kids. And she used this phrase, putting the kids in focus, like a, she hmm. used a photography metaphor that like there's the kids' perception of themselves and your perception of them and society's perception of them. And, and those are all three different exposures. And what happens is when those three things aren't aligned, then the kid is out of focus. They're uncomfortable. And so what I understand this to be now, a lot of adolescence is like my son, for example's um, perception of himself is one way. And mm. my perception of him is another way and they're not aligned. And so that creates friction in our <laughs> relationship because I still see him as this kid that needs reminding of everything. And if he doesn't get reminding, he won't do it. And he sees himself as this rapidly growing person who is, you know, like learning all these things and is like gone through all this stuff and is like ready to go. And so I think the actual like there's two issues. One is the issue of like, how do I get him to make sure that he picks up the stuff off the floor or does the dishes or whatever it is? And then the other one is like, how do I manage my relationship with him? Right. And I think that like the relationship thing is I have to al I have to align my perception of him with his. Right. And whether or not sometimes that means he's not going to do stuff that I want him to do. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard for me because I don't want him to not do stuff that I, that I want him to do. I want him to do everything I want him to do. What is so hard about that? <laughs> like, just do everything I say. Where's the problem? You know, that's kind of how I feel. But the reality is I think it's more important or I'm wondering if maybe it's more important at this point, like at 15, when you're beginning the ramp up towards like leaving home and, it's, you know, a few years away and like we're, we're sort of in the final act of this like child at home thing in a certain, you know, if you look at it from a certain perspective, it feels like maybe the most important thing at this point is to get that alignment right and to give him the space that he's asking for. Right. And right. to let him experience the consequences of it. When and keep my mouth shut. Keep my yeah. mouth shut. The same thing that I always yeah. want my own mother to do. I just have to like get better at doing, I guess, right. is what it comes down to. Yeah. And don't, I mean, it don't beat yourself up because my God, it's so hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it really are, is. This is the, this is why teenagers are hard. So, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing well. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's, uh, you know, yeah. day to day, whether or not the shower happens or not. But um, I guess if I can deal with uh, a little BO and just align myself with his vision of himself. Yeah, I mean, it, although to be it, fair, it, it, like I like I said, when I don't tell him to do it, he does do it. So I just need to just stop, you know? Yeah. And like, even if he doesn't, I mean, it's kind of at a point where like, that's I mean, what's I got to do with you? <laughs> Exactly. At a certain point, you know what I'm saying? Like, what's that got to do with you? <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we'll get to listener questions in just a minute. But first, let's do a bit of business. As always, if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. Or you can send us an email at slate.com. 
Com. And please check out our Facebook presence. Every episode has a really rousing discussion, and it's a great place to talk about your own triumphs and fails, commiserate with other parents, talk about the show, talk about those of us on the show, and talk to us, because we are on that Facebook group all the time. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really fun community, and we moderate it so it doesn't get too crazy. In Slate Plus today, we will hear from my older son, Henry, about how it is that he got to be a Senate page in Washington, D.C., and what it was like living away from home at just 16 years old. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is a great way to help support the show. For just $35 a year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other Slate podcasts and a lot of other benefits. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. All right, let's get to questions. Our first question is being read by Slate's Shasha Leonar. Dear Mom and Dad are Fighting, Can you talk about some of the practical steps around co-parenting? My estranged spouse left me and our preschoolers while I was six months pregnant with baby number three. Now that our legal separation agreement is going into effect, I am meeting all the conditions laid out in the parenting plan, including making the kids call him nightly and even transporting the children to him for visitation, neither of which is super popular among our kids. However, he has expressed that it is hard to take care of three small children single-handedly. No shit, Sherlock and has often requested that I accompany him on visitation activities, which I have declined. I have minor reservations for their safety when they are with him. I think he tends to pull more stunts when I am present in order to get a rise out of me. But he generally doesn't do anything more ambitious than take them to the park, because taking three small children anywhere is really hard. Recently, he showed up at my house for his scheduled visitation and announced without asking me that he and the kids would be staying in at my house to eat pizza and watch a movie. I didn't argue, but said that I would spend a few hours at the library. He got very loud in front of the kids, yelling that I am being childish by choosing to leave my own home and not co-parenting with him. I feel like I don't owe this guy anything. I've been a single parent for 18 months now, and any time that I can count on the kids being with Dad, I'm getting stuff done. Grocery shopping, cleaning, oil change, etc. He's highly inconsistent on his visitation days, often late or canceling at the last minute which has left me scrambling at times to find childcare if I've made plans. Do I owe it to my kids to always be on call for this guy? How available should I be to rescue him when he gets in a bind? I know that co-parenting looks different for every family, but I am not at a place yet where I want to hang out with him together with our kids, considering that I'm actively trying to protect our kids from the conflict between us. Thanks for always keeping it real. To, I mean, to answer the questions that are like actually written in this in this letter... No, you don't have to do anything other than the separation agreement says you should do. Like, you don't have to spend time co-parenting with him uh, just because he wants to or because he doesn't. He finds that having three little kids under his care is difficult. Um, You're not required to do that for him. You're not required to do that for your kids, actually, I don't think. Uh, and you're certainly not required to do that for yourself. That time that you have without your kids it is really important. Parenting three kids by them by yourself as a single parent, little kids, is like crazy difficult. And yes, it makes it very hard to do logistical things like laundry, grocery shopping, bills, oil chains, stuff that you need to keep the house running. So I don't think that it's really incumbent upon you in any way, shape, or form to um, – 
you know, to give give up that time based on your separation agreement because this guy is having a hard time doing his part. You do your part. He has to do his. That's that would be the way that I see it. Now, this thing about him staying at your house and watching movies and eating pizza, that strikes me as odd, too, is that I, I would be curious to see. And there may be a good reason, but I'd be curious to see what it was, why he can't do that at his house. Um, and also why you have to transport him, transport the kids to him for visitation as opposed to him coming to pick them up. I, I assume that that's the way the separation agreement is written. I'd be curious as to why. I think that you're dealing with <laughs> you're dealing with someone who is a low key deadbeat dad. I mean, to be honest, I mean that's what it f- feels like. Because the thing about when you separate, and I mean, at least, at least this was my experience when we separated and, and it was like got time, you know, to like spend time with the kids and they were difficult and it was overwhelming and I didn't quite know what to do and stuff. The thing is, is that that was my job was to figure out how to get through that. <laughs> like that was never not my job and there was no like there was no day off from that job. That was my job. And so I had to figure out how to do that. And I think over the years I got pretty good at figuring out how to do it because it was my fucking job as a parent to do that. And it, and one of the things that, I mean, there's so much that motivated me, but like one of the things that also kept me going when I was struggling is knowing that Joe was doing it. She was doing her part. So why wouldn't I be doing mine? And so it doesn't sound like this guy has that same sense of, balance or fairness or respect. And that's a problem. That's a personality problem. And so this is where I, in some ways, deferred to Rebecca because like whether or not you should be doing like violating your own terms of the agreement, to me, that's a hard no. The question of of how do you deal with a co-parent who isn't quite holding up their end of the bargain, that's a little more complicated and a little bit out, a little bit outside of my experience. And I'd be curious to hear what Rebecca has to say about that. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously some factors here that we can't know. Like, we don't know, right. you know, what the potential ramifications are for her if she strays from the parenting agreement But um, on all that stuff. But I have to say, Carvel, I agree with you. This is a personality issue. You are dealing, I think, with more than just a low-key deadbeat dad here. You're dealing with somebody who is still trying to... Uh, work his way into your life or control aspects of your life um, Mm. outside of just the parenting parts. He is basically using these kids to change the way that you not only behave, but the way you've agreed legally to behave. The whole, Mm. I'm going to just hang out with the kids at your house thing and then getting angry with you when you leave, that was a move intended to ruin your day. That was more than just he's too lazy to figure out what to do with the kids. Like he's actively continuing to try to ruin your day when he pulls stuff like that. And I think it is very important to draw those boundaries and not capitulate. I know your your kids are really, really young, right? They're You said they're preschoolers and you have a baby. Um, and mm. you're, you're basically dealing with somebody who wanted out of the enterprise of, you know, the family you said he left but he still wants all the benefits of the enterprise so it would be like quitting your job but saying you still want the health insurance not understanding why like you don't have it anymore right um that's not okay you guys made a deal and at some point I know that it's frightening when you think about your kids and you think about, like, will they get their diaper changed? Will they get the snack that they want? Will they get to do an activity that would be the same activity I would do? 
the only way this is going to get better for you is if you at some point he has to concede uh, either he has to get better at it or he has to concede that he sucks at it and change the agreement. And the way that that is not going to happen is if you fill in the cracks for him when he asks you to. I mean, there you go. Um, yeah. if, if you if you don't have real fear for your kid's safety, and I assume that if you did, you probably would go yeah. for a change in the agreement anyway because there are other issues at play. If you think he's just being more negligent to get under your skin, which given the information you've given us, I strongly suspect that's the case. His helplessness in this regard is a way to get at you and a way to make you change what you were planning on doing. Hold the line. Absolutely hold the line, even if it requires some intervention or help on your side of things. If you need, you know, someone to write a letter to his lawyer saying, like, this is the deal. You need to hold the line. Mm -hmm. It is not selfish. It is not selfish whatsoever because he either has to become enabled or just change the change the deal. I mean, that's the way that I look at it. It's very cut and dry to me. And um, with the information well, you've given us, I think well, you're doing absolutely the right thing. No, you do not owe this jerk anything. You're obviously very good at what you do. <laughs> he sucks at it. So I would say basically this guy needs to shape up or ship out is what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the question is like, what is this? Sh what does this ship out look like? I mean, like, I mean, I, I, what I like about what you said is that it's clear that like, Either either one of two things needs to happen. Either he needs to sort of like grow up and handle the responsibility that he's agreed to or step aside and admit that he can't do it at all, which puts the mother in, in, a, in a difficult situation, but probably one less difficult than having this half-assery, <laughs> you know, happening. Like, um, I don't know. So, like, I guess the other thing I, I think about, too, is that the kids are very, very young right now and – the dynamics, I mean, I think she said she's been a single mom for 18 months, That, but she was pregnant when he left. So the mm -hmm. baby is younger than uh, is 18, younger than 18 months right now, which is, which is really quite young for a baby to spend extended time away from mom. Um, and I, this is not at all to excuse the dad who does sound like a real asshole, uh, period, full stop. And also, I think that's probably even an even harder time for a single parent to be in his own. There was no mention of what the nursing situation was, but I imagine that's a factor. You know, I just think that it's, there's a lot going on. So um, the main thing that probably needs to happen is that this guy needs to, like you say, shape up or ship out. And I think the shipping out thing is like kind of scary for the mom because mm. I think and sometimes – I wonder how often parents, co-parents feel like some help, even if it's shitty, is better than no help at all. Oh, totally. I wonder how often people feel that They way. do often, because I felt that way all the time when I, when I was first yeah. divorced. You know, like, uh, you know, I would let my, at the time, I had a, a better relationship with my dad and stepmom at the time, and I would let them watch the kids because I had to. I had to, like, get somebody there so I could go do a thing. And I knew, like, they had no idea what they were doing. Like, no idea. I would come home, everything would be yeah. a wreck. But it was like, I can either not do this thing that I have to do, you know, to work or whatever, uh, or or, yeah, I mean I, that is absolutely that that is a, that is a real thing. It's a real phenomenon. Hmm. I'm in a tough situation. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it sounds like your ex husband is a a piece of work. <laughs> real piece yeah. of work. All right. 
All right. Well, good luck to you. And we will be thinking of you. Uh, Let us know how things go if you want to. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is also going to be read by Slate's Shasha Leonar. My husband and I are expecting our first child in September. We feel strongly that we need to limit the amount of screen time our son will have in the future. We plan to follow the AAP guidelines for that. However, I am just realizing that we are constantly on our phones ourselves, either for work or just to check social media, the news, etc. We don't want to model that behavior, but it's going to be quite a transition to give that up. What smartphone rules or guidelines do you have slash follow in your household? How do you balance wanting to live in the moment and be fully present with the expectation to be accessible at all times, the desire to document your kids through photos, and the wish to stay in touch with family slash friends through social media? Should we start to limit our own smartphone use now to get some practice before he arrives? Any insight would be appreciated. This is a tough one. I mean, I think just like this writer inner, I am also a screen addict. I love checking my phone all the time when I'm sitting in the waiting room at the dentist office or when I'm watching TV. I am definitely one of those two screen people who will be tweeting about the TV show or following tweets about a TV show while we're watching it. And uh, we've talked about this on the show before, that really the only way to get kids to buy in to what it is you want them to do is to not be hypocritical about it. And so I think you do have to make that choice. If you're going to follow those guidelines, how are you not going to be a blatant hypocrite and give your kids all the ammunition they need to do the opposite of what it is you want them to do? Um, A couple of of tricks that I uh, did when my kids were younger, of course, this is like, I'll I'll just be honest, it's kind of all gone out the window. Um, At dinner time, we do sit down for meals and we all do our best to uh, just put the phones face down at the other end of the table and we sit down so we can actually talk. But yeah, sometimes you want to put the Spotify list on the speaker. So like you got to pick up the phone to do that. Um, So maybe some more flexibility has has crept its way in as the kids have gotten older. But there was a time where, uh, especially with Teddy and his uh, clear screen addiction issues, we, you know, kind of set some physical boundaries up in the house around screen use. So for instance, um, I would work at this little spot on the kitchen table. So you know, it's you can use any you don't need an excuse to constantly be monitoring work feeds, social media, Slack, all that kind of stuff, email. Um, but if you put your phone when you're home in the space where you actually go to get work done, if you have like a little desk or a little space and you actually park your phone there, then there is an intentional like kind of walking over to it that you have to do, especially if you're checking in for work. And it's not so different than if you were just checking in for work through your computer. You know, you wouldn't have your computer with you at the kitchen table when you were eating dinner. Um, So, you know, having your phone with you is kind of the same thing. So that that's one tip that I can think of off the top of my head. But um, just know you really do got to be willing to walk the walk um, if you're going to implement these guidelines lines because kids love nothing more than pointing out that their parents are complete and total hypocrites, (laughs) especially when it involves something that they want to do that's easy to do, like use screens. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, and the other thing, too, is that like even before you get to the eights, the stage where they're able to kind of put out the thing that you're a hypocrite, 
you're already they're already learning the habits. They're already gaining the habit by watching you because your kids literally just do whatever you do. I mean, I think it's best to assume that there may be some situations in which you can get away with something without your kids doing it. But I think as a parenting rule, it's safest to assume that whatever I do, my kids are going to do, period. And uh, and so if I don't want my kids to do something, I have to not do it and work on whatever it is that stands in the way. I One of the things that would help maybe this letter writer work on what stands in the way is like – you don't have to be anywhere near as available as the current internet would have you believe in order to be happy and maintain relationships. <laughs> and you don't have to like follow the news anywhere near as much as the current internet would have you believe in order to be healthy and happy. And you don't need to document. I mean, I'm a huge documenter of kids and my kid documentation actually is, that is really important to me, especially after the tragedy of 2018, the big the big data sweep of 2018 <laughs> when I lost everything. Um, I'm even more adamant about it now, but I also recognize that, like, having lost all that data and lost all those photographs and stuff, I come to recognize that, like, look, my own childhood, how many pictures of myself do I have? Like, 13, you know, 15, mm. 25 pictures from, like, 18 years. Like, it's just not – it's, like, it's fine. And I, I just think the one weird thing about the internet today is that it creates this kind of like um, sort of illusion of there being no option. You know, we actually answered a question like this on uh, the Karen Feeding Slate uh, parenting column last week where someone was like, "I Facebook is terrible and all they do all this creepy stuff, but I can't get off it because there's no way I could ever be a part of my parenting community if I'm not on Facebook. And I totally get that feeling, but I had to just sort of be like, what if that wasn't true? What if mm. you totally could be a perfectly fine person in the world and not be on Facebook? I bet you you can. You should try it. And I think that that's the same thing I would say to this parent is like our, the extent to which we have to be connected is greatly over-exaggerated in our own minds. Mm. It really is. And if you just were to kill all connections instantly, I think within like a week or two, you'd find that you actually weren't missing anywhere near the amount that you thought you were missing. Yeah. Because it is true what Rebecca says, which is what I always say too, is that you can't tell your kids not to be on the phone all the time or not on screens all the time. If you are, you just can't, they won't listen. And it, there, there'd be no point to that. You'd just be teaching them. It's not even that they won't listen. It's that you'd literally be teaching them the opposite thing of what you're saying. Cause the way you teach kids is by doing stuff, not necessarily by saying stuff, saying stuff's like 5% of what they learned from you doing stuff is like the remaining 95% of what they learned from you. So yeah, get off your phone more, spend more time off your phone, <laughs> make some <laughs> rules. If you want some concrete rules, I like to have a rule about not going on the phone within an hour of going to sleep. Uh, I like to, when I wake up in the morning, not put the phone next to my bed. I don't, I try not to use my phone as an alarm clock because when I do that, I pick up my, <laughs> my alarm clock goes off and then immediately I'm like on Twitter, which is by far, and I cannot stress this enough, the single worst way to wake up in the morning. Yep. Um, and Can so, confirm. you know, yeah. And so stuff like that. And then, you know, I, and it's like throughout the day, I just try to fucking stay away from the thing because it's not necessary. I also use do not disturb on my phone quite a bit these days. Do not disturb is amazing. If I'm with my kids and I know there's no, sometimes I don't want to do that because it's like Joe has the kids and you know, what if there's an emergency? But if I'm with my kids, do not disturb is the way to go because it's like, I, you know, I can go three hours without an, you know, without a notification. And I always turn my, I turn it back off. Do not disturb. And I always think I'm going to be flooded with notifications of all the shit that happened. And it's like, it's been three hours and nothing really happened. One person texted me. <laughs> 
you know, one meme and <laughs> that's it. You know what I mean? Like I could have lived, <laughs> could have lived without it. And so I just think that a, you have to get off your phone and B it's, n- if you want your kids to have good screen time rules, you have to get off the screens and B it's nowhere near as hard as you think to be without it. So push yourself is what I would say. Couldn't have said any better myself. Thanks Carvel. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, now it's time for recommendations. This is the time in the show in which we recommend things to you, fair listeners. That's why it's called Recommendations. Carvel. (laughs) The the Gabe intro, strong. It is. Um, It is. What's your recommendation this week? My recommendation is this is so great. So I I stocked up on, guys, I stocked up on like a month's worth of recommendations by going to one of my favorite bookstores in the world yesterday yesterday which is City of Asylum Books in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And whenever I'm here, I always go there. And uh, and then I just went through the children's aisle and took photographs of every book cover because I'm like, I'm sure this is good. I'm sure this is good. I'm sure this is good. But I haven't read any of them yet. But I'm going to recommend them anyway because I believe they're good. I did some background research. And so the one I'm going to um, – so you're going to be getting a lot of book recommendations from me, contemporary book recommendations for over the next few weeks. But the one I'm going to recommend today is called Running on the Roof of the World mm. by Jess Butterworth. Uh, it's a debut young adult novel uh, about um, about uh, um, two kids who have to escape across the mountains after protests in Tibet um, lead to their families being captured by the army. And uh, it's a young, it's kind of a young adult, I'd say probably 11, 12 and up kind of book. And I did flip through it when I was at the thing and read some passages. And I really liked the way the prose was powerful but kind of short choppy and terse like good for young readers to grasp what's going on without there being too much like confusion but also introducing everyone to another world uh it came recommended by the staff at the at city of asylum which is a bookshop and community center that focuses almost entirely on works by refugee authors and writers um and so i take their word on a topic like this with you know, with some gravity. Um, So the book, again, is called Running on the Roof of the World by Jess Butterworth. Well, I'm really glad you have weeks worth of highbrow book recommendations because I have (laughs) weeks worth of lowbrow television and (laughs) (laughs) other crappy recommendations. And uh, that's what I have this week. Um, I am going to recommend, I am just caveat, not a huge fan of reality competition shows. Um, There are two exceptions to that, one of which is uh, was, I don't think it's on anymore, The Sing-Off, which was the acapella singing competition uh, judged by the wonderful Ben Folds. But my current TV (laughs) 
a competition reality show love that everyone in my family enjoys watching and it is so inspiring is uh, a show called World of Dance. It airs on NBC. It airs kind of late, 10 o'clock, so I would recommend watching it on demand or taping it. The wonderful thing about World of Dance is it is the best of the best. This is not one of those shows where you have to watch a bunch of crappy uh, dancers trying to get through early rounds and being failures and we're all supposed to laugh at them because they didn't make it or whatever. This is a show that starts out the premises that um, there's a kids category, uh, an adult singles category, and a team category. And the premise is basically that like these are the best of the best and they're competing in different genres and all the dancers on the show are incredible. And one of the things that I love most about the show is the judges. Uh, the judges are J-Lo, uh, Jennifer Lopez, Neo, and Derek Huff from Dancing with the Stars. And these are three professionals uh, from different sort of genres of dance who like know what they're talking about. They bring in mm-hmm. ballet dancers as guest judges. They bring in tap dancers as guest, just guest judges. And I have just learned so much about what it takes to be a good dancer by watching this show. But really, the level of talent is incredible. The kid performers are incredible. The adult performers blow your mind. The team dances are what um, my kids really love, like the hip-hop crews and stuff. And it is just the kind of reality competition show that is kind of what they should all be. It's like in no way trying to make you feel bad about yourself or trying to make you feel better about yourself because, you know, you're like laughing at people. It is just talent uh for on its face and and really 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 good so i recommend checking it out it's a great show to watch with the whole family love it that's so good because my kids are right now my kids are on on queer eye but mm. and, and they're, they're burning through it with such incredible speed i know they're going to be they're going to be bereft of like reality <laughs> quote-unquote reality content it's and so they good do, though, they have eye. gotten to the point where they don't where they like <laughs> yeah they have gotten to the point where they're like a little bit discerning about their reality stuff. They don't like the stupid stuff anymore. So, yeah. so it's good to find good stuff. I recommend it. Season one of World of Dance uh, was won by Les Twins, which are the uh, uh, twin oh, guys yeah, I love them. The who French dance guys. behind Beyonce. Yeah. Yes. And so like these are like really good dancers. Like a lot of them are known yeah. um, and some of them are not known. And it's just it's just beautiful and fun. And uh, J-Lo, as it turns out, is an excellent critic of dance. Good. Good for her. Awesome. I love J-Lo. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Always good. That'll do it for us this week. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. The homepage for the show is slate.com slash mom and dad. And if you have a question you want to ask us on air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. You can also join us on our Facebook group. Just search Facebook for Slate Parenting. For Carvel Wallace and the absent Gabriel Roth, I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and we will see you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.